The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Practical Spirituality. Positive Messages. This is UnityOnlineRadio.org. The Voice of an Awakening World. Welcome to Truth Transforms. Join in for spiritually enlightening discussion and the practical application of new thought principles. Here's your host, Reverend Galen McDowell. Welcome to Truth Transforms. I'm your host, Galen McDowell, and I'm the executive minister, senior assistant minister, and the director of the Johnny Coleman Institute at Christ Universal Temple in Chicago, Illinois, where the Reverend Dr. Derek B. Wells is the senior minister and the Reverend Dr. Johnny Coleman is the founder. I'm in the midst of a series titled Seed, Time, and Harvest. Actually, the name of the series is Neville Goddard's Seed, Time, and Harvest. And it's based upon Neville's book, Seed, Time, and Harvest, which, uh, as I stated on an earlier show, uh, the original version is out of print, but there are reprints of it now. They can be found on Amazon.com, and the whole book has been absorbed into the Neville Reader. So, I want to make sure that you all get some really good hardcore metaphysics about how you can demonstrate your good. Last week, I taught the four mighty ones, which was the secret to demonstration, the secret to manifesting. So if you did not listen to that show, make sure you go back and you listen to the show on the four mighty ones, because that was the secret right there. Without a shadow of a doubt, it really gave the outline of how you work with your mind to produce a demonstration. Now, I'm not saying it's magic. I am saying that it works if you work it. And if you are consistent with your discipline and you can get to the to the state of consciousness necessary based upon the steps, then you can produce extraordinary results, results well beyond what you might currently be able to produce. So try it again. You don't have to believe me. You don't have to believe Neville. You don't have to believe any of this stuff. Try it for yourself. But the only thing I will say is, Try it with integrity. A lot of times people try to put their own stuff in the midst of what somebody else is teaching, their own stuff in the middle of somebody else's steps, and it messes it up. It's sort of like going to the to the workout uh, to a gym, and you get a personal trainer, and they give you an outline. This is what you eat. This is how you work out. You do these exercises this way, and you decide to do them when you want to do them or do them with, with you know, one-third intensity or time, uh, and you still want to eat what you want to eat, and you want to come, you know, every blue moon, and yet you expect to have, you know, a, 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 a body like an Olympic athlete. It doesn't work like that. And you can't just allow your mind to be random, allow your mind to, to be all over the place, allow your mind to focus and put its attention on a lot of things that's not for your good, and you occasionally pray occasionally meditate, occasionally study, occasionally listen to stuff like this. But the majority of your time is wrapped up into into low-level human consciousness. You cannot expect to get Olympic-level results in manifestation. It just doesn't work that way. That's all I'm saying. It just doesn't work that way. Now, let's get to the book. Because what Neville does is he goes in a way that I wouldn't have, you know, just as you think about, man, if I'm going to teach faith, these are the scriptures and these are the examples I would use. Of course, Neville being Neville, he went a totally different way, a totally different space, a totally different, with a totally different concept, which is fabulous. And it was thought provoking. So he uses the story of Cain and Abel to teach faith which was interesting. So 
he starts off by quoting Genesis chapter four, verses four and five. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but to Cain and to his offering, he had not respect. Now, let me start off this by, first of all, just saying that this is a metaphysical interpretation of the Cain and Abel story. That's one. It is not treating Cain and Abel as historical figures. Matter of fact, uh, I personally do not believe, based upon much biblical scholarship, that Cain and Abel, Adam and Eve were historical figures. Uh, most biblical scholars worth their, uh, I want to say worth their salt. Let me rephrase that. Most mainstream biblical scholars believe that the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis are, you know, are dealing with allegorical characters, you know, Cain and Abel, Adam and Eve, um, and, you know, just several other people, Noah and his children, things of that nature are not necessarily historical characters, but whether they are, aren't, and I'm saying, I don't believe they are. We're not dealing with them from a standpoint of being historical characters. Also, this Cain and Abel story is is uh, utilizing God as a personality. So it says, you know, uh, God didn't respect the offering. Though the Bible uses human narratives, which we understand, to explain spiritual principles. I want to make sure that's clear. The Bible uses human narratives to explain spiritual principles. So to give personality to God, like God is mad and God is happy and God is, you know, you know, regrets making humankind or God never regrets. You know, it's all these type of human concepts and personality traits are given to divine law principle because that was their understanding at the time. When we start looking at it from a metaphysical standpoint, we transcend it and say, OK, what is this trying to teach us about universal law? What is this trying to teach us about principle? What is this trying to teach us about consciousness? What is this teaching us about our own spiritual nature? When we start asking the deeper questions, we get deeper answers other than surface answers like God is just some superhuman personality. All right. So again, and the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but to Cain and to his offering, he had not respect. All right. So Neville starts off by saying, if we search the scriptures, we will become aware of a far deeper meaning in the above quotation than that which is which a literal reading will, would give us. The Lord is none other than your own consciousness. Say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you, Exodus 3.14. I am is the self-definition of the Lord. We were saying in our ministry that I am is your spiritual identity. If God is I am, you are I am. Why? Because you're the image and likeness of God. I am is God in you. Your God, I am as God individualized as you. He's using self-definition. It doesn't make a difference what the term is. It does make a difference what the term is. Let me rephrase that. But in this context, it doesn't make a difference what the term is because what it's saying is stop putting the quote-unquote Lord outside of your being. Now, you can also translate Lord as, as divine law. That's another way of looking at it. You can also look at uh, Lord as your creative capacity, your spiritual creative capacity. There's many ways in which you can drill down on the term I am. We're just going to work with what Neville wrote today. So he wrote, Cain and Abel as the grandchildren of the Lord can only can be only personifications of two distinct functions of your own consciousness. So he's already setting the table. Cain and Abel, if, if the Lord represents your own consciousness, then Cain and Abel are personifications or distinctions within your own consciousness. I want to make sure we're clear about that. Then he wrote, uh, the author is really concerned to show the two contrary states of the human soul as he has used two brothers to show these states. In other words, they're close. If they're brothers, they're close. All right? The two brothers represent two distinct outlooks on the world possessed by everyone. So I want to be clear. Two points of views, two distinct outlooks, two way uh, two ways of dealing with life, two different paradigms. Uh, when you look at it from that standpoint, now you start to unfold it. It says, one 
is limit is the limited perception of the senses and the other is the imaginative view of the world all right so one is basically saying is connected to the senses what the five senses bring it to you only the other one is looking beyond that to what is available through the power of imagination all right he goes on to write, Cain, the first view, is a passive surrender to appearances and an acceptance of life on the basis of the world without, a view which inevitably leads to unsatisfied longing or to contentment with disillusion. Now, let me just stop here. So from his perspective, he's saying the Cain in you, the Cain in me, represents a passive surrendering to what already is. Okay, this is what's showing up. This is what I can see. This is what I can hear. This is what I can smell. This is what I can taste. This is what I can touch. Only that is real. And however it shows up is is determining how I got to deal with life. In other words, I'm at the effect of life. I'm not cause. I really want you to get it. I'm at the effect of life. I'm not cause. One of the primary teachings of new thought is all causation is mental. That's why Reverend Coleman used to say, I am the thinker who thinks the thought that makes the thing. Johnny Coleman was brilliant with that statement. I am the thinker who thinks the thought that makes the thing. This is why I say you can't outperform your own consciousness. This is why Emmett Fox wrote, there's no such thing as undemonstrated understanding. All right. So if you're basing it on life based upon the appearances, you're also violating what Jesus taught when he said, judge not according to appearances, but judge righteous judgment. In other words, we got to see beyond what is currently showing up to a preferred future, to a preferred now, to the spiritual wholeness behind and beyond, and that which transcends and interpenetrates what we call physical reality, what we call the facts. Then he goes on to say, Abel, the second view, is a vision of fulfilled desire, lifting man above the evidence of the senses to the state of relief where he no longer pines with desire. All right? So when you're dealing with the Abel consciousness, you're dealing with a vision Where's vision? Vision is an imagination. What allows you to grab that vision and hold on to it? That's your faith. A vision of fulfilled desire, lifting you above the evidence of the senses. But I just want to stop there. So when you're working with creating a demonstration, one of the things you have to do is you have to Lift your mind above the evidence, excuse me, the evidence of the senses to where you want to be, to where you want to be, okay? Then it goes on to say, ignorance of the second view is the soul on fire. Knowledge of the second view is the wing whereby it flies to heaven, to the heaven of fulfilled desire. So in other words, when you're ignorant of the able consciousness that you can live and see and be in your fulfilled desire in your imagination and hold it and grab it through faith, then basically saying, well, he said a soul on fire just basically means you're in a state of chaos. Just want to put that there in a, in a state of chaos. So anyway, moving on. It goes on to say, he quotes Proverbs chapter 9, verse 56. Come, eat my bread and drink of the wine that I have mingled. Forsake the foolish and live. Then he goes on to write, in the epistle to the Hebrews, the writer tells us that Abel's offering was faith and states the author, without faith it is impossible to please him, Hebrews eleven six. And then he quotes Hebrews eleven one in verse 3. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. 
Verse three is through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are not seen were made of things which do not appear. Now, most people quote Hebrews 11, one, and they don't quote Hebrews 11, three. But I think that Hebrews 11, three puts the context on faith better than anything you'll bump into. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things, this is key, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. In other words, you're not trying to you're not trying to move the furniture around in the room. You're seeing a new room with new furniture. I really want you to get it. The health you're seeking for might not have appeared yet. You have to what? Understand that they're framed or created or manifested out of the word, you speaking the word, you being in alignment with the word in you. Then it goes on to say, Cain offers the evidence of the senses which consciousness the Lord rejects because the acceptance of this gift as a mold of the future would mean the fixation and the I'm messing this word up. Perpetuation of the present state forever. Perpetuation. Uh, Anyway. Now, what he's saying, and again, as I stated this book earlier, we're not talking about a human personality up there or in you. All right? It's saying that there could be no progress, there could be no evolution if you only stay where you are. Life is for living. Life is about creating and evolving and becoming. We're always in the process of becoming. All right. So this is why Abel's offering would be acceptable. Because life is pushing through you, in you, as you, as the as desire to progress. To progress. And we want to hold on to Cain's offering based upon the evidence of the senses. Now, I'm not discounting the senses, nor am I saying that the Cain consciousness is wrong. We need the senses. We need the information that we collect through our eyesight, through our hearing, through our taste, touch, or smell. That's very important. And at a physical level, is literally can be what keeps you safe and physically alive. I'm not knocking that. But you have to understand that vision, hope, and creativity is not necessarily created out of this consciousness. You have to transcend it. You have to get to the to the idea stage. You have to get to the inspiration. You have to get to the intuition. You have to get to the to the true desire in your soul that is seeking expression in through and as you. He says it this way. He says, if we stand in the Cain consciousness, the sick will be sick, the poor will be poor, the thief will be a thief, the murderer a murderer, and so on, without hope of redemption. In other words, because whatever we present to the Lord or the law within us, the creative capacity within us, is what we're saying to, to the Lord. This is what I want more of. So the ability to think beyond your current experiences is one of the ways in which God made you powerful. The ability to think beyond it. Okay, you might be in the mess right now. Yes, your body might be going through some stuff right now. Yes, the money might not be where you want it to be. Yes, you might not be living where you want to live. Yes, you might not be driving the way you want to drive. Yes, you might not have the career that you want to have. I get all of that. Can you at least right now start to play with your mind to see yourself beyond? And people say, well, that's just daydreaming. Okay, well, keep going back to that daydream and making it more and more detailed. Go back and use the four mighty ones from last chapter. Last week, I taught it. Go back through it. Listen to it. Go through the steps of the producer, the author, the director, and the actor. And play with it in your mind. 
until you can get your own realization of what that means. You can't get stuck in what is. You have to look past it to what's possible and then take that possible through the steps that I taught last week until you can get that it's possible to a place of knowing in your own soul. I really want you to get this because we get stuck in the Cain consciousness. We get stuck in that's just the way it is or things won't change. Now, here's the thing. When you step into the able consciousness, you might not be around the people that you're around right now because the people that are connected to the Cain consciousness may or may not be connected to the able consciousness. Sometimes everybody's not going to go along with you with your growth. Everybody's not going to grow with you. They love you, but they don't want to grow with you. They love you, but they're not trying to spiritually evolve. They love you, but they're not trying to leave the Cain consciousness. So, and and in the in the scripture, which he doesn't talk about in this chapter, Cain kills Abel, which means that uh, the lower levels of consciousness seek to overtake in the soul our spiritual awareness. And if you've ever lived life, and obviously if you're listening to this, you've lived life, you know that there are times when you want to be spiritual and your mind has other plans. When you want to hold the consciousness and your mind has other plans. When you want to speak from love and grace, harmony and divine order, and your mind has other plans. You know that. Okay? I just want you just to be present to that. I want you to be present to it. Because if not, you can fool around and allow your spiritual consciousness to get suppressed by becoming mesmerized by normal levels of human consciousness based upon the five senses. You can become mesmerized by what's going on in the world. You can, you know, staring at the news. I never forget, you know, when, uh, you know, 9-11 happened and it was, you know, you know, a, a human catastrophe without a doubt. And I can remember talking to people who for, you know, a week later, they were just staring at the TV like they just couldn't shake it. And I was saying, okay, eventually you got to get pulled. You got to pull out of this to where where we can, where, where you want to take your own life. It can't change. We can't go back and make that something that it wasn't. But that doesn't mean it has to freeze you. Because if it freezes you, if it makes you not want to go to work, if it makes you not want to do anything but stare at CNN or MSNBC or Fox all day, then only thing that's going to do is make the people who did it win because it paralyzes you. It makes you give up hope. And when you give up hope that it can be better, when you stop having faith that it can change, you then will become resigned to the way things are. And it's nothing like resignation. Nothing like it. Because resignation will tell you, don't even try. What difference does it make? That is the Cain consciousness that has to be rejected. Now, uh, we're about a minute from our break. So let me go through uh, the quick commercial stuff that we that I normally go through. Um, so first of all, you can connect with Christ Universal Temple through our website, www.cutemple.org. We live stream every Sunday at 1030 a.m. Central Time on that website on Facebook under Christ Universal Temple and under YouTube on YouTube is CU Temple. So make sure that you connect with us. If you're in the Chicagoland area, we are open with uh, COVID spacing, more than willing. We would love to have you come and worship with us in person as well. Also be reminded that we have a 
Facebook live lessons Monday through Friday at noon central time. You don't have to watch it at noon live. You can always go back and watch them later. We're teaching the book Live Happy by our senior minister, the Reverend Dr. Derry B. Wells, because it's one lesson a day for a whole year. And we're teaching one lesson a day, Monday through Friday. Uh, make sure you plug into that and get some good hardcore metaphysics. Also, uh, Reverend Wells has his Temple Talks on Facebook, which is 7 p.m. Central Time. So if you look up at uh, Rev Derek Wells, you should be able to pull it up, or at Derek Wells, I'm sure it'll pop up. Um, last but not least, on the second half of this show, if you want to call in and ask a question, you can call in at 816-251-3555. 816-251-3555. We'll be right back with Truth Transforms. Awaken to the Divine Within. You're listening to UnityOnlineRadio.org. Welcome back to Truth Transforms with your host, Reverend Galen McDowell. Welcome back to Truth Transforms. I'm teaching the gift of faith out of the book, Seed Time and Harvest by... Neville Goddard. Let me get back to the book. So Neville goes on to write, and in my book is page 48. The Lord of consciousness has no respect for such passive use of imagination, which is the gift of Cain. Now, again, he's using human language. We're not talking about a personality that likes and dislikes. He's just talking about from the standpoint of the creative urge or desire within humanity is seeking greater expression, not to be resigned to the way things are. He's using that context. Neville goes on to write, he delights in the gift of Abel, the act of voluntary loving exercise of the imagination on behalf of man for himself and others. Then he quotes Joel. I love the scripture. Let the weak man say, I am strong. It's one of the ways in which I teach people the power of affirmation because people say, well, you know, why are you telling, saying, affirming something that's not factually true? Well, it's scriptural. Let the weak man or let the weak say, I am strong. All right, because you can't be strong by only seeing yourself as weak. So when the weak man or weak person says, I am strong, they're shifting their paradigm. They're starting to come out of the resignation and start because they're proclaiming something that is beyond their current circumstances. Now, here's the thing. A person that's weak from from the perspective at least of character, mentality, emotion, things of that nature, is only that way because that's the state or states of consciousness they're used to residing in. And saying, I am strong, allows them to reside in states of consciousness that are stronger, that build up, that are in alignment with the truth of who they are. So never goes on the right. Let man disregard appearances and declare himself to be the man he wants to be. Let's just stop right there. Declare yourself to be the person you want to be. Now, here's the thing. Human beings hate disappointment. And I rarely use the word hate, but I believe it's the appropriate word. Human beings hate disappointment. And there's nothing like disappointing ourselves. I think this is the reason why people are afraid to declare to be them be the person they want to be because they don't want to be disappointed. But here's the thing. As you declare and see and behold yourself beyond where you are, it will push you to become the person that you see in mind. Now, does that mean everybody's going to be Michael Jordan? No. But I, for instance, one of the neighbors I grew up with, he lived um, across the street and a few houses down, was uh, a basketball player, professional basketball player, who never made the NBA. However, uh, being a guy that was probably around 6'3", even though back then, you know, they used to, you know, lie about their height 
for the NBA and pro and college and all of those things. I think he probably listed at six five, six six. We was about six foot three. And every year he would leave for a designated amount of time and he would go play basketball in Europe. Okay, so he played high school basketball. He was a good college player. He never made the NBA. But he but he lived in multiple countries all through Europe. A guy from Chicago. A guy from the south side of Chicago. Traveling, living in the Italy's and Spain's and other countries of, uh, in Europe. Being paid to play a game that he loved. And then he could come home and bring that money home. And he did this for years. He might not have ever been Michael Jordan, but can you see that just seeing himself beyond what was presented gave him an opportunity to live a dream? Live a dream. And if he wasn't seeing himself as a basketball player beyond playing basketball at the park, or beyond playing basketball in high school, or even beyond playing basketball in college. But a person who could actually be paid to play basketball, it changed and shifted his life, and it shifted and changed the life of those who were around him. It was a game changer. He could have looked at it as a disappointment and said, I never made the NBA. Or he can look at it and say, my ability to play basketball is taking me around the world and allow me to make more money than most people ever make in their career. Allowed him to make more money than in a year than that might be five times what six times, seven times. This is the eighties. So I don't, I don't, you know, I don't know what he was getting paid, but I'm just going to assume that it was well beyond what the average person was making in the United States. So how you view a thing can determine the meaning of it for you. So go for what you really desire. And even if you don't make the NBA in your area of life, you'll be well beyond where you would have been. Keep pushing. Go for it. Put it on the table. Put your cards on the table. That's what I mean by that. And give yourself a fair shot at going after what you really want. People stay at jobs that they don't want to be in. And I get it. You know, steady income, benefits. But let me just say this. Even if that's the case, and I don't want to tell anybody what they should or shouldn't be doing. I remember years ago, uh, Robert Kiyosaki wrote a book called Before You Quit Your Job which I thought was brilliant because people were read rich dad, poor dad, and not necessarily have the skills, quit their jobs, not the skills or the mindset, just get inspired in the moment without working on themselves and then put themselves in the pickle. So he wrote the book before I, before I quit my job to help people understand what are the ways in which you can develop the skills, the financial literacy and the skill set necessary to transcend your job. So what you do during your work hours is for your responsibilities to pay the bills, to do all of the other stuff. What you do off the clock is to grow you and develop you and do what's necessary to get yourself in a position to go for what you really desire. Are you willing to put the work in after? You know, it's like the... Uh, uh, Bahamian preacher, uh, Reverend Miles Monroe used to say nine to five paraphrase, basically nine to five is for your boss after five is for you. And that after five did not mean only watch TV, only talk on the phone, only scroll through social media. And I'm not saying anything about bad about phone TV. I like TV. I like movies. I'm going to see the Batman in March. I already got my tickets. Uh, <laughs> it's making sure that you don't sacrifice the time you do have because when it's all said and done, uh, you are an infinite being spiritually. 
but physically you're you and I and everyone else are quite finite. The clock is ticking. And we need to be present to that. Now, it's going to tick regardless of whether you're working on your dream or not. The clock is going to keep going. Even if you are just manifesting your desires, living your dreams, achieving your goals or not. You don't get more time because you didn't do what you said you were going to do. Use your faith, use your imagination, use your spiritual gifts and go after what you really want in life. Yes, you're going to bump into some resistance. Yes, you're going to bump into inner resistance. Yes, you're going to bump into this Cain consciousness that that's believes in saying, staying pat, whatever the world is telling us, that's what it is. That's where we stay. But we have not allow ourselves to be shaped by the world. This is why the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 12 too, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is the process. All right. Or as they say on the show, The Mandalorian, this is the way. All right. Now, let me read it again. Neville, let man disregard appearances and declare himself to be the man he wants to be. All right. Next page. The ideal is always waiting to be incarnated. But unless we ourselves offer the ideal to the Lord, our consciousness, by assuming that we are already that which we seek to embody, it is incapable of birth. The Lord needs his daily lamb of faith to mold the world in harmony with our dreams. I love this. So let's just, the ideal is waiting to be incarnated. Your good is waiting to be incarnated. Your prosperity is waiting to be incarnated. Your health is waiting to be incarnated. Your great massive demonstrations are waiting to be incarnated. But unless we offer the ideal to the Lord, unless we lift those ideas, those desires, those concepts up to our own creative capacity to the I am within us, by assuming that we are already that which we seek to embody, it is incapable of birth. So in other words, our unwillingness to put our imagination and keep our imagination on that which we desire to be and then to hold that image in faith daily is what's keeping it from coming into manifestation. That's why he wrote, the Lord needs his daily lamb of faith to mold the world in harmony with our dreams. Then he goes on to write, from Hebrews, by faith, Hebrews 11.4, by faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Now you want to keep bringing through your imagination, and I want you to get this, through your imagination, do you want to keep bringing back up what already has been, what already doesn't work, what already keeping you frustrated and unsatisfied? Or will you bring or lift up the new idea, the inspiration, the dream, or the goals, and hold those in imagination and bring those to the Lord of your being. Hopefully, this is landing, and because obviously I can't see you where you are, I'm hoping that it lands. Don't forget that if you, know, if you want to reach out and let me know, hey, I'm land it's landing, hey, I'm really vibing to this lesson, that this show has a Facebook page, Truth Transforms with Reverend Galen McDowell. Truth Transforms with Reverend Galen McDowell. You can inbox me and let me know how this series is landing with you, how you are applying it, what aha moments you're receiving from it. I would greatly appreciate it. So I'm asking you to do it. Truth Transforms with Reverend Galen McDowell on Facebook. Just inbox me and let me know how things are going. I would greatly appreciate it because this information is is a little deep, but I think it's right on time. All right, back to the book. He goes on to write, and this is another one that if you have the book, and I hope that you do have this material, 
this is one of the this is a highlighter and I write prescription marks like RX next to things that are super important in my books. This is this is a prescription. Faith sacrifices the apparent fact for the unapparent truth. Oh, I love that. Faith sacrifices the apparent fact for the unapparent truth. Faith holds fast to the fundamental truth that through the medium of an assumption, invisible states become visible facts. Mm. Faith holds fast to the fundamental truth that through the medium of an assumption, assuming that you are what you desire to be, invisible states become visible facts. Invisible states become visible facts. Invisible health becomes physical health. Invisible prosperity or invisible invisible supply becomes visible prosperity and abundance. Invisible opportunities become objectified opportunities. Really want this to land. You have to sacrifice the old and present and bring to the Lord of your being the new idea, the ideal, the desire, the goal, the dream. All right, I'm gonna skip a few pages and because she talks. He talks about a healing with a woman who was working with her nephew who had a mark on his face and she just took it into her consciousness and held on to the truth and kept seeing the baby with no mark on his face until there was no mark on his face. And people could say, that's just coincidence. It would have happened anyway. We don't know that. What we do know was he had a mark, and he and then he didn't. It's sort of like in the Gospels, I believe it's the Gospel of John, when Jesus healed a blind man, and they brought the blind man in to meet the religious leaders because they just couldn't accept that Jesus was some type of holy man. So, you know, they start asking all of these questions about the man and his parents, you know, and the man just had to stop them, and he said, look, I don't know all that stuff you're talking about, but this is what I know. Once I was blind, and now I see. Now, you all can argue the details. Once I was blind, but now I see. Allow that to land with you. Because when a person has used these spiritual principles and got results, then the conversation is over. Once I was broke, but now I have money. Once I was sick, but now I'm healthy. Once I was depressed, but now I'm happy, satisfied, and fulfilled. Once I was stuck in a dead-end job, and now I have career fulfillment. Once I was blind, but now I see. You can't argue with the results. I, I, I can remember when, you know, when I first started attending uh, Christ Universal Temple in 93, uh, you know, Reverend Coleman was in her last, what, 13 years of the, not 13, yeah, or around 15, 13 years or so, 12, 13 years of running the ministry. So, you know, at that point, she's a superstar minister. And so Johnny Coleman's church that was teaching new thought, new thought Christianity, Christian metaphysics, consciousness, and all of this stuff, uh, was even though it was the largest church in Chicago at the time, it was also by far the most criticized church. People would talk about it everywhere. They're not teaching the gospel all they talk about is money out there. You have to drive a Cadillac to even go in the parking lot. They won't let you drive drive your raggedy car into the parking lot, all type of stuff. I even had someone actually say to me, 
that they thought we had a, a money tank on top of the roof of the building that had nothing but money in it, no water. I people would say things like, "Oh, you have to have a, you have to give your salary to become a member of the church." People would spread lies because they couldn't deal with our results. People were getting massive breakthroughs based upon the ministry of Christ Universal Temple, and they would try to lie because they could not get around the results. People like me walking in at age 20, almost dying from asthma, completely healing my body. People having uh, incurable diseases, including Reverend Coleman, who had who was given six months to live in 19, I believe 52 or 53, and she got this teaching, healed her body, and lived until 2014. I can tell you countless people who had massive demonstrations that you would say, how? How did that happen? I've had people bring to me test results. I've had people bring me x-rays and CAT scan results, showing me this is what it looked like before, and this is what it looks like now, that the disease disappeared. People who had opportunities and experiences with job opportunities created a multi-million dollar business. And I'm not saying that this everybody's experience, no. What I am saying is it was so many people's experience that after a while, Johnny said, don't argue in, with people in the in the beauty shop, that was her way of saying where you go to get your hair done, or the barbershops, or out in these stores, or at family reunions. Just tell them to drive by 11901 South Ashland and let them see what God is doing. Because she understood, and I'm hoping to help you understand, that the demonstration can't be argued. This is why Jesus said, judge a tree by the fruit it bears. A lot of people talk and don't have fruit. A lot of people talk about living better or living spiritually or living in God or in all this other stuff with no fruit. And not only that, they don't, the people they teach don't have the fruit. You know, one of the things that I'm a big believer in is the statement that comes from Kung Fu. And I can remember my own Kung Fu teacher saying this to me many years ago. I don't teach students. I produce masters. He wasn't interested in having students. Still isn't to this day. He wants he only wants to produce people who are experts in what they do in the context of martial arts. Well, in the context of metaphysics, I want people who get great results. Study under me, I want you to get the results. I want you to have undeniable results. Not theory, not, oh, I just feel better. No, undeniable results. Because when you have undeniable results, what that does for the world is it makes you have to deal with you. I'm formidable now because my results speak for themselves. People love to argue about theory, but like Mike Tyson once said, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. Everybody talking, everybody can talk about what they would do if they were in the position. But when it's all said and done, what are your results? What are your fruits? I never forget. And I'm still in the context of, of teaching the gift of faith, but I want to show you the practicality of it. i never forget, years ago, I was in a barbershop. And, you know, I'm in a chair getting my hair cut. And there used to be a guy that used to be in there all the time that was getting his, uh, he would always be there talking. It was more than one barber in the shop. And he would get his hair cut by the other barber. And he was talking all about, you know, this guy had all the answers for life. And he would, you know, and he was talking against, you know, Everybody that was a leader, whether it was a religious leader, a political leader, uh, uh, you know, a neighborhood leader, it didn't make a difference what it was. Self-help leaders, self-help books, whatever. He had all the answers. And, he, you know, and he had this uh, context of, um, you know, which was good, a sense of, of you know, African-American pride. And I'm like, well, that's great. But every time somebody brought up something, he was like, no, that's wrong, this is wrong, that wrong, this is wrong, that wrong. 
So one day I just asked him a, a, a question and he went on this thing. He didn't know I was a minister or whatever. And all I said to him was, after he was trying to make me wrong just from asking a question, I just said to him, okay, you got all this information. You say you studied all of this stuff and you read all these books. And, but who, who are you helping? And what are the results from all of this studying? How have you helped yourself and who are you helping now? I said, I'm on the front line helping people. The, the information I've studied, the blessings I've received, I give back to the world through the ministry. How do you help people? And he just got silent. And I just said, what difference do it make if you study all of this stuff and you got all this knowledge and you don't have results and you're not helping anybody else get results? And then, of course, that created its own conversation. My point is this. Faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. People can talk all the spiritual stuff they want to speak. Faith without works is dead. Start focusing on getting the results you want. I'm going to close with this quote he has on page 55 of my book. Facts based upon reason and evidence of the senses which... Facts based upon reason and the evidence of the senses which oppose the idea seeking expression rob you, rob you of the belief in the reality of the invisible state. But faith is the evidence of things not seen, and through it, God calleth things which be not as though they were, which is Romans chapter 4, verse 17. So he wrote, call the thing not seen, assume the feeling of your wish fulfilled. You got to get there. <clears throat> Excuse me. But as you get there, hold on to the consciousness of what it is you're seeking to do and seek to get the results. You don't seek to get demonstrations to brag or for ego purposes. You demonstrate because the demonstration is the evidence of the consciousness. The demonstration is the evidence of the teaching. The evidence is the the, the result is the evidence of the principle. We'll be with you next week with Truth Transforms. God bless. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Are you ready to ignite your best life and illuminate the world? I'm Stephanie James. I'm a motivational speaker, transformation coach, and psychotherapist. And what lights me up is helping people just like you create the greatest versions of themselves. On my podcast, Igniting the Spark, I will help you ignite your joy and reach new heights in your personal and professional life. Join me for some incredible conversations with authors, spiritual teachers, and other influential thought leaders to help guide you on your way. If you are ready to stop playing small, join me for Igniting the Spark on the mindbodyspirit.fm network or wherever you get your podcasts and ignite your best life.